I welcome you this morning. Um, we are kicking off our week of prayer for Georgia Baptist Missions, and the theme uh, this year is strengthen, and that is the goal to strengthen um, the churches of uh, Georgia. And uh, I, I really appreciate the um, the understanding of uh, the mission board that it is the local church is the vehicle that God has chosen to. Build his kingdom in the world, and so uh, the the mission board uh, exists to assist the churches, and that's what they want to do. They want to help strengthen the churches, and our giving to the cooperative program and to the our various missions offerings, like the Georgia uh, Mission Georgia offering, goes to help uh, strengthen our churches as we cooperate and work together to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ here, uh, right at home. And so, I just encourage you to give generously to that. And in, in, the, in that spirit, what I wanted to speak on this morning uh, is from Acts chapter 4, uh, under the title, On Mission for King Jesus. On Mission uh, for King Jesus. But before we, um, before we get there this morning, I'd like for us to pray together one more time. Father, I just thank you now for this privilege that we have to worship you through the hearing of your word. And I pray, Lord, as we think about the apostles, Peter and John, as they're living on mission for you, Lord, I pray that we might be emboldened, God, by their witness and their testimony and encouraged, God, by your great power to use, God, even us, to make your name great in this world. So I pray this morning, Father that our hearts would be encouraged and strengthened, God, as we think about and contemplate, Lord, what you desire and will do in and through us as we trust in you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 4, if you haven't already. And a good thing to remember as we look at the, the book of Acts this morning is that... Um, Jesus had given uh, the disciples a uh, commission. Uh, Oftentimes we refer to it uh, out of Matthew 28 as the Great Commission, which we're all familiar with. Um, In that commission, turn on my microphone here. In that commission it says, Jesus came and said to them, uh, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is the mission that Jesus entrusted to his disciples. And as we talk about it, it's always, always important to remember in the Great Commission that Jesus, the Great Commission is preeminently about Jesus and not about us. And we know that because Right before and right after it, in other words, he encapsulates it in himself. He opens the Great Commission before he says anything about us. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then at the end of the Great Commission, he says, and behold, I am with you. I am with you always to the end of the age. So the thing that Jesus wants us to know is that this Great Commission of making disciples of every tribe and nation and tongue on planet earth... It's not, it's not something naturally possible. It's only supernaturally possible. 
But because we serve Him to whom has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and since the same one who has all authority in heaven and on earth goes with us and lives in us by the Holy Spirit, then that means that the Great Commission, to use a double negative, it can't not succeed. It must succeed. It will succeed. Why? Because the power of God Almighty is in it, working in us to do what? To make disciples of all nations. And the, the, the mission was repeated in a slightly different way in, in Acts chapter 1, which you're familiar with, Acts 1.8. Uh, Jesus said, uh, you, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's in this spirit then that we see Peter and John on mission for Jesus in Acts chapter 4. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's words. Acts chapter 1, excuse me, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple... And the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. And John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, You must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The word of God. You may be seated. I want to see three truths from our passage this morning. Number one, King Jesus is the only way. Number two, King Jesus can use you. And number three, King Jesus cannot be silenced. So again, number one, King Jesus is the only way. Number two, King Jesus can use you. And number three, King Jesus cannot be Silence. So first here, number one, King Jesus is the only way. This story that we just read comes on the heels, as you might have gathered, of a miraculous healing of the beggar outside the temple in Acts chapter 3. There was a man who was lame, the, the scripture says, from his birth. He was unable to walk. And every day he was laid at this particular gate, this particular entrance where people would enter into the temple courts. And uh, every day he would be laid there hoping to receive alms from those who were entering up to God to offer sacrifice and to worship. And so who knows how long this man had been doing this. I mean, he was lame from his birth and this man was over 40 years old at the time of his healing. Who knows how long this man had been placed at this gate day after day after day. Years, perhaps, and it is apparent from the story that everybody uh, knew who he was. If you go back and look in Acts chapter 3, when this man is healed, he's, he's jumping and he's leaping and he's following Peter and John and he's causing all the ruckus. And then it says that everyone is looking at him and everybody, everybody recognizes him. Who knows how many times they had passed this lame beggar? begging for money on the side of the street. Who knows how many times they passed them? And many of they themselves had probably given him some money from time to time. And yet they recognize him. And yet here he is, a 40-year-old man, jumping and leaping. And of course it caused quite a stir, and everyone is talking and gathering and saying, look at this man, what has happened? Why is he clinging to these two other men? Hey, these guys look kind of familiar. I think they were with that Jesus man. And so what has happened here is what the Bible refers to as a sign. The miracle was a sign. And if you know about signs, the point of a sign is not to draw attention to a sign, but to draw attention to something else. When we put a sign up, it's pointing us to something else that it wants to draw attention to. The miracle is called a sign. It's a sign to draw attention to something else. The healing in Jesus' name points to, not to the not to the sign itself, but it points to the power of the one who, done the, who did the healing, Jesus Christ. His power to heal and his power to work. And most importantly, particularly, what the sign does is it paves the way for the testimony then about the most important thing Christ has done to take place. The testimony of Jesus' crucifixion. And in him, the resurrection of the dead, because he rose from the dead. So if we find our forgiveness of sins in him through his shed blood on the cross and we believe in him and trust in him, we too also have the hope of the resurrection from the dead just as he is raised. And so 
if we go back and look at Acts 3, we see that the sign paved the way for everybody to gather a crowd, if you will, so that Peter then boldly stood up and proclaimed the gospel. The greatest thing that Jesus had done, his death and resurrection from the dead. And Peter pulls no punches when he tells the crowd in Acts chapter 3 that this Jesus whom you crucified, you killed him. You mobs that, that, that asked for a, 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 an insurrectionist Barabbas to be released instead of your king, your messiah. And he was killed at your wishes. But then Peter goes on and says this in Acts 3.17. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And so the healing of lameness points to a far greater need for healing that we all have. And that is the need that we have to have our sins blotted out by God through Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus is the one who is bringing in the kingdom. That Jesus is the one in whom we have forgiveness and we know this beyond a shadow of a doubt because, Peter says, he has, he has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is alive, and he's still working. He was alive in Peter's day when G, uh, Peter and John were careful to say, we didn't heal this man. Jesus healed this man. He healed this man. But Jesus is by Jesus' name and by Jesus' power this man is healed. In other words, Jesus is still working. Even as he has ascended into heaven and Jesus is still working today. He is alive and he is at work. He is the appointed Christ. He is the only begotten Son of God. There is no other. Therefore, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so we got to think about Peter and John here. They received this mission from Jesus to proclaim the good news of Christ, of forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the dead. They received that commission to proclaim that truth in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you read the book of Acts, that's exactly what happens. And in Acts chapter 4, in the early chapters of Acts, they are just simply doing what Jesus said would happen. They, would, they were his witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem. And here they are, the temple courts in Jerusalem, doing what? Living on mission, as we said, for King Jesus, viewing their lives as something uh, greater than themselves, that they exist for purposes far greater than just... You know, making a nine to five and, and uh, having a, living in a decent place and having a decent family and hanging out with your grandkids. All that things are great, but they understood that their life was, was existed for something greater than that. They existed to make Christ known, to glorify the name of Christ, to live on mission for Christ. That They understood that the life that they lived in the flesh today would have eternal reverberations. That the, that the stones that they threw in the pond, that the, the, the work that they did with their lives would ripple out into eternity. 
And they had a mission and a commission by God to do that. To proclaim that Christ is the King. That in Him is forgiveness of sin and resurrection from the dead. And that He is the only hope, the only way to be saved. You see, there's this beggar man. And everybody knew him because everybody recognized him when he had been healed. And so everybody just walks by this man as they did every day. And yet Peter and John see this man. And instead of just seeing another beggar, they see something different. They see an opportunity to glorify God. They see an opportunity to make Christ known and proclaim the good news. And so what do they do? They seize it. They seize this opportunity to glorify King Jesus with their life because in their life, they're not just, they're not just going about day to day. They're going about day to day looking for ways to exalt King Jesus and you, you find what you look for. So, my, so the question that we can ask ourselves is this. Who are, maybe there's someone in our life that we see every day. And maybe, like that beggar, we might see him every day and we've never once stopped to reflect. Maybe God wants to glorify his name through this person. If I go and I love them and I talk to them and I share Christ with them. You see, it's easy to just kind of walk by and see everything as mundane. But what if every person we see is not just the normal, everyday, mundane person? What if every person we see is an opportunity to glorify God Almighty? You see, it changes the way we look at the world when we live on mission for King Jesus. You see, they seize this opportunity to glorify God. They proclaim this Christ who has no equal. They told the rulers after they had been arrested for this healing, they told the rulers, they said, the stone that you rejected has been made the cornerstone. The King of all, the Lord of the cosmos, And Peter and John testified 2,000 years ago, and we proclaim the same thing today, that in him there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Why is that? They say, you say, Pastor, that's very narrow of you. Isn't that kind of arrogant that you can say that Jesus is the only way to be saved? Well, No, not really. If it's true, there's only one man who was born of a virgin. There was only one man who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. There was only one man who was the divine God-man, the Son of God, come down for us. There was only one man. There was only one man in history who has risen from the dead. There was only one man in history who has ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of God Almighty. There is only one man to whom it is appointed to descend from heaven, to close out human history, and to reign on the earth forever. And his name is Jesus Christ. So there is, yes, I'm sorry, there is only one way to be saved, and that's one way more than we deserve. And if you would be saved, thank God that we have a way. When there was no way, and that way is Jesus Christ. There is only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And his name is Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other way. That's just the way it is. 
Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and there are few that find it. And we would that everyone would find that narrow way, the way of Jesus Christ. And we are here this morning because we know the way. Because we have seen it by grace. Because somebody, somebody, somebody showed us the way. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a friend or a family member. But somebody showed you the way. And you thank and you praise God for it. And let me tell you something. There are people outside these walls, church, dying destined to hell and they're fine they're looking for a way for everything they're looking saying if i just had a better job or a better spouse or a better family or better health or if we had a better government or if i had a better home or neighborhood better if we had something else then finally i would truly get it and they don't realize that what they're looking for cannot be found in this world the way is broad that leads to destruction but we know the way you know the way and we can tell people the way just as people, just as others led us to the way. We have the joy, the privilege of showing people the way. Can we make them like the way? No. Can we make them want the way? No. Can we make them follow the way? No, but we can point them to the way. We must point them to the way and say, here is the way. Because there is only one way. King Jesus is the only way. Number one. King Jesus is the only way. And then number two, King Jesus can use you. King Jesus can use you. You see, Peter and John were arrested by the Sadducees because they caused quite a stir. Uh, In verse um, 2 there, in chapter 4, it says, They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So if you know a little bit about the Sadducees, you know, there's the Sadducees and then there were the Pharisees and they differed in their opinion on these things. And the Sadducees actually deny, denied the reality of a resurrection. And so, of course, they were rather upset when these men had stirred up the entire temple courts proclaiming that there is a resurrection from the dead. That men will be raised to stand before God. And that... Uh, of that, we can be sure because the first man to be raised has already, been, has already risen. Jesus, the Christ. And we shall be like him. And so they uh, proclaimed the Christ and the Sadducees didn't like it. And they had Peter and John arrested and they questioned them. And uh, notice here when Peter stands up, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, I can't talk about Christ. Well, is that true? Does the Spirit of God live in you? If the Spirit of God lives in you, believe me, my dear saint, you can talk about Jesus Christ. Because when we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of God comes upon us and Peter A Peter who had denied his Savior stood up 
and proclaimed that in him there is forgiveness of sins and there is no other name by which we must be saved. And he looked at the religious leaders, the high priest of Israel himself, and said, we will not stop proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And what's striking here is in verse 13, it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You see, this is incredible, isn't it? 2,000 years after the fact, we tend to kind of view the apostles as these superhuman figures. And of course, they had a unique, special role in the church life. They were uniquely appointed by Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of his resurrection, having physically seen the risen Jesus with their own two eyes. And as they wrote down the scripture, they were inspired by God to write down uh, the truth about God without error. But at the same time, we have to remember that they were just ordinary men, too. In fact, we know for a fact that Peter, uh, bless his heart, had to be corrected by Paul later down the road. And it's evident from this passage that when the high priests and the officials looked at these men, they weren't nothing special to look at. They looked at these men and they said, these are common, uneducated men. They were fishermen. Some of you guys like to fish. They were fishing. They were were rednecks. (laughs) They were. Remember when when Peter is around and he's denying Jesus and someone says, hey, I recognize your accent. Remember that? They had an accent. They had had that northern Galilean backwoods accent. I know where you're from. You're from Galilee. You see, they weren't much to look at. But you see, God doesn't need the most gifted. God doesn't need the most skilled. He doesn't need the most educated. He doesn't need the most extroverted. There's only one requirement to be used by God in such a way that will astonish other people. The one requirement is this. All you have to do is trust Him. That's it. You want to be used by God? Then you just got to trust him. That what? That he can use you. That he can use someone like Peter and John. That he can use someone like me. You say, Pastor, I can't talk good. Some of you will get that later. (laughs) You say, Pastor, I don't know all the answers. I'm not a people person. And I just want to say, dear saint... That's fine, because God doesn't need any of those things. All he needs is you to believe. To take him at his word. When he looks you in the eye with eyes flame of fire and says, My child, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I will be with you always. To the end of the age. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? If you believe it, then guess what? You can be used by God. You can step out like Peter did out of the boat 
He believed that Jesus could make him walk on water. So guess what? Since he believed, he stepped out of the boat. And guess what? I guarantee all those other disciples said, I wish I would have stepped out of the boat. But they missed their chance. They missed their chance. Because they didn't believe that God could hold them up if they stepped out into a place where they couldn't hold up themselves. And it is a great tragedy in our lives that the temptation that we all face, that we only do as much for God that we think we can do in our own strength. And if that's the only amount of faith that we're exercised, that's all we'll ever do for God. But if we believe in him and step out, and as we're walking to that friend, to that neighbor, to that loved one, to take that step of faith, to share Jesus, to do that hard thing, to see that need and go out of our way to meet it. As we step out in faith in that way, saying, God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. He will. And guess what? People will be astonished at what takes place. God doesn't need our gifts. He doesn't need our skills. He just needs us to trust and obey. Because the power is not in the, the, the messenger, it's in the message. We don't save people. God saves people. We don't have to be gifted people. We just have to be gospel people. We just have to be gospel people. Because we are not the power of, sal- power of God for salvation. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. We just deliver the message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose. He chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that, why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and wisdom, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see what Paul is saying? He's saying the power is not in the messenger. It's in the message. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be the most eloquent. You don't have to be the most compelling. You just got to look. You just got to love people enough to say, I know the way, the truth, and the life. And his name is Jesus. And in him, we can have forgiveness of sins, resurrection from the dead, and life everlasting. That's it. That's all we have to do is deliver the message. We have to ask God for that supernatural grace to focus not on what we aren't, which is what we tend to do. We tend to focus on what we aren't and give our God all these excuses of why we can't use us. When God's saying, just, 
Take your eyes off your take your eyes off yourself for a second and say, "Look to me." Stop don't stop focusing on your weakness and start focusing on my power. Christ has promised to be with us to the end of the age. Jesus said, "I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it." The king the fullness of the kingdom of God is not a matter of if, but a matter of when. Peter and John were uneducated and common men, but God used them because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they trusted that if we obey and if we step out, God will work and God will use them and God will use us. It can't not happen. It must happen. It has to happen because Jesus said, I will build my church. Did you know that every knee in Dodge County will bow the Lord, will bow the knee to King Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know that every tongue in Dodge County will confess that Jesus is Lord? One way or another? Did you know that? It's going to happen. The only question is, are we going to be part of it? The hour is set. It's going to happen. We don't want people on that day to bow the knee out of fear. We want them on the day to bow the knee out of joy and love. And the way we do that is we go out of this building and we proclaim that the king has come. He is welcoming all who will turn to him full and unfettered citizenship in his kingdom. But you better accept it now while you still have time. Because when the kingdom comes and he comes back to take the world for himself, he's going to lay out his enemies. But if you're already part of the kingdom, if you already belong to him, if you already accept his terms of peace, full, complete forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future, if you will come to him and follow him, that's a good deal, folks. Then you will be forgiven of your sins, welcomed into his kingdom, and granted a place into the eternal kingdom where we will reign with him. Forever. Every knee in Dodge County will bow the knee to King, will bow to King Jesus. You see, in the kingdom of God, weakness is not a liability, it's an asset. You see, if we think we can do it, we can't. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. In fact, weakness is an asset, not a liability, because the weaker we are, the more we are desperate for Jesus' help. And the more we lean on Jesus, guess what? The more of his power that surges through us. That's why why Paul can say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So God can use us. God can use us. So King Jesus is the only way. King Jesus can use you. And finally, King Jesus cannot be silenced. In Acts, in verses uh, 19 and 20, the... Leaders told them to stop speaking in the name, and Peter and John said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You see, we have an unstoppable message about an unstoppable kingdom and its unstoppable king. That's what we have. That's the message that we got. We are citizens of another kingdom. We live between the ages. We have 
the message of the way, the truth, and the life. Peter and John were just common, uneducated men, but they believed God could use them, and God did. And one of the things that they believed was this. They believed that ultimately they did not answer to men, but ultimately they answered to God. And we live in a day, just like our other brothers and sisters in the world, other parts of the world, they face it every day, and it's becoming increasingly so here, where we're going to have to ask ourselves the question, who do I ultimately answer to, to man or to God? Because what are we going to do when the world says, well, you can't say that, you can't believe that, you can't say that here. You can't believe like that here. And in that moment, we will, when the leaders of the society, like the high priests were, we're tell, telling them, you can't speak in that name. We'll have to decide if we're going to say whether it is right before God to listen to you or to God. You have to decide. But as for us, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What, my dear brothers and sisters, is a few years of suffering compared to eternal ages in the presence of the king? Whatever cost we have to pay for Lord Jesus, believe me, it's worth it. Because he will come and his reward will be with him, whom he finds faithful. So as we close this morning, our question is this. Do I live on mission for King Jesus? Do we as a church live on mission for King Jesus? Ask our God, who is that person that I walk by every day that maybe that's the person God wants to glorify his name through? Who's your one? We've talked about that. We're going to talk about it a lot more recently. Who's that one person that you can reach in Jesus' name? Remember, the power is not in the messenger. It's in the message. Deliver the message. Share the good news. Pour your life into others, and God will work. God, Christ will build his kingdom. He will save, and he'll use us. And perhaps this morning you've heard this message, you've heard about this kingdom, you've heard about this king, and maybe deep down you know that he's not your king and that you're not part of the kingdom. And I just want to say that this morning God has brought you here for this purpose, to hear this message, that if you turn from your sin and follow the king, believe that he has died for your sin, he has risen from the dead for your sin. He reigns in heaven for your sin. And he accepts freely, fully, everyone who will come to him. No, no limits, no questions, no matter what it is you have done, full and complete pardon. If you'll come, he will accept you and bring you into his kingdom. And you can come this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word.